you're listening. I just, I just don't care. No one is ever kidding Michael Cole. Of course he can roll a grudge forever. This is wrestling. Welcome back to This Is A Work. My name is David Hensley. I'm the owner and creative director of Long Walk Productions, and I am here tonight to introduce your host, Robert, the distinguished gentleman Brafford. Thank you, David. I am here with my tag team partner, Chris, the fashion plate Barnes, for the first uh, pay-per-view podcast episode of 2024. Exciting stuff. We are covering AEW World's End. Oh, I need to go. Spoilers. <laughs> All right. Good talk, everybody. Now, TLDR, this one was fine. Now, um, yeah, I, I think we're going to probably move through this one pretty fast. Uh, there were a couple of matches that I really loved and a couple that I don't really have a lot to say about. Just, But um, the beverage of choice for this one was Devil's River Barrel Strength Texas Bourbon Style Whiskey. I went to the liquor store and just asked them, yeah, what's a what's a spirit with devil in the name? I wasn't feeling like doing a lot of searching. They pointed me to this one, and I got to say, it is no joke. Hey, that, that come through okay? How about that? It did. That was a very satisfying cork pop. I'm not going to bother trying to get the sound of a pour on there. All right, so AEW World's End, and... Uh, Nassau Coliseum, I think it was, in uh, Long Island. I'm sure you've mispronounced that. Probably. <laughs> well, Nassau? Nassau? No, they're the guys who launched spaceships, or they used to, anyway. No, you're thinking of Nassau. I'm thinking of the pirate port, but... You're thinking of Nassau. Well, Long Islanders, famously understanding and, you know, tolerant of outsiders getting their ways wrong. Yeah, so this was interesting. Uh, interesting show for a lot of reasons. It was the one closing out the year. It's also... Um, I believe the first show that AEW's ever done where no members of the Elite were on the card. The uh, Bucks and Hangman were have uh, both been off TV a couple of weeks ahead of time. Kenny was supposed to have a match on, but got laid low by diverticulitis. So, none of them. Also, FTR wasn't on there, neither was Orange Cassidy, the Lucha Bros. So, kind of a, a lot of mainstays just didn't make an appearance tonight. Part of that could be a holiday travel schedule. I know... Uh, that's kind of the thing now. Both uh, Tony Khan and Triple H have said they tried to work around people as much as possible. But, yeah, I think the absence was definitely felt a little bit. Let's see. So skimming through just kind of the early stuff. Uh, the pre-show, I'll admit I meant to go back and watch because I was still kind of getting settled in when these three matches went on. And uh, none of them really grabbed me enough that I cared to go back and, and see him that much. Mm-hmm. But, uh uh, Willow Nightingale uh, took on the recovering alien Chris Statlander uh, in a singles match. No real stakes, just a uh, little friendly competition encouraged by Stokely Hathaway, who's apparently trying to recruit Statlander for unclear but no doubt fiendish reasons. Um, I liked this match most of the way through, but wow, it went off the rails at the end. Um, I, I think... You know, Willow's a charismatic, fun presence in the ring. Statlander's a great athlete, but... Do you remember that go-home sequence they had? I do not, actually. Uh, so, started with an enziguri that went, like, six inches clear of Statlander's face. And then uh, Willow tried to do her finisher, which is sort of a gut-wrench powerbomb, I think three times in a row. Uh, first time, she couldn't quite get her off the ground. She tried a second time. 
uh, nearly dropped her on her head and had to set her down kind of gently. And then the third time, or no, sorry, that, the, that was the first time. Second time, uh, Statlander kind of turned it into a leg drop, like just hit her in the face as she was coming up and they both fell over backwards. Delivered it the third time and got a pin. So not the, not the best way to go home, but eh, overall, glad these ladies are on pay-per-view and it's nice to have a non-title focused women's match on the card. Any other thoughts on that one? No, not really. I mean, basically what you said. Yeah, I guess I'm kind of skimming the pre-show. I gave that one two and a quarter. Okay, next up, though, was the 20-man Battle Royal. And I, mm-hmm. it's hard to miss with a Battle Royal. Those are uh, just you've got all these personalities, give everybody one spot, and you've got you know, pretty guaranteed 15, 20 minutes of excitement. Didn't quite happen here. This one, again, left me a little bit cold. Like, do you have any, like, particular moments or things that stand out for you in that one? Nothing in particular. I was impressed that they were letting different names uh, actually kind of come up to the forefront. It was cool to see a lot of, like, guys like um, uh, Brian Keith, who I knew was someone they've kind of been putting on TV a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Serpentico's still working there, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Johnny TV and Dalton Castle, offering of Honor, showing up. So... Again, like the talent, but it just sort of felt a little directionless. One weird thing, they um, time-honored tradition of Battle Royal is to have everybody team up on the monster. Like, everybody tries to dogpile the big guy and get him out of the ring. Right. They did that here with the two big guys being Lance Archer and Killswitch, and before the match started, everybody just attacked them, beat them into the ground, and buried them under a big t- pile of chairs and tables. Mm-hmm sound enough strategy except for the fact that they're not actually eliminated so everybody else just goes in and fights for 10 minutes and then the two (laughs) monsters get up and they're angrier than ever and just come in and crush everybody so it's like okay it's a fun inversion but also doesn't really make a lot of sense and yeah well no no the idea is to they were uh, the idea was you lay them out so hard that you're supposed to forget about them until they pop back up ah there it is it's like um well it's it's also like there's also the cowardly heel the cowardly heel version of that which is you run around you get thrown around and then you just quietly slip out and hide <laughs> until the end of the match J- uh, jimmy hart way back in the day used to be involved in battle royals and would do that see i remember them doing something like that with um uh brian cage back when he debuted in a ladder match and there it made sense because if you're incapacitated in a ladder right. match then you're just not a threat to reach it but mm-hmm. yeah so it does end up with um Archer, as always, makes a good showing when he gets there. He's really, really talented at picking dudes up and slamming them down really hard. But uh, gets eliminated by uh, Trent Beretta and Dan Housen of the Best Friends. Mm-hmm. Um, who then have a hug, which is very nice. And Trent immediately eliminates Dan Housen, right. which is <laughs> just the nature of the game. But uh, a curse may be in his future. Who knows? Ends with uh, Trent Beretta and uh, Luchas, sorry, Killswitch fighting on the apron. Uh, Killswitch hits him with a headshot. He goes down, and Killswitch has won the future TNT Championship match. Little predictable. Oh boy, I can't wait to see him challenge in the future. Yeah, he's he's gonna he's gonna keep that one in the bank for a while. But when he yeah. when he makes that withdrawal, it's the anticipation building that'll that'll really make everyone excited. <laughs> He really did kind of feel like the as soon as it was de- he was down to the last five. You're kind of like this. This makes sense. Christian's the defending champion. Right. Uh, he's got a history with Edge. He's the challenger tonight. So, 
Yeah, again, that, that predictability just kind of takes some of the wind out of a battle royal, so... No, not really. I, I mean, it's like... Well, I mean, if you've watched wrestling long enough, you get a good idea of where something is... You get an idea of where Chekhov's gun is going to be fired. See, this is something I think we'll talk about a little bit as this goes on, oh, which yeah. is where the line of predictability yeah. doesn't have to be a bad thing in storytelling because we all have a sense of how stories are supposed to go. That's kind of mm -hmm. where we get this instinctive reaction of, well, that was satisfying or unsatisfying. I, th I think um, with this show in particular, uh, it's been so long since there's been competition between uh, actual proper competition that people have forgotten. Sometimes each side is just going to have a lot of uh, mid shows. <laughs> yeah, that's... Like I, like I grew, I, I started watching wrestling right as the Monday Night Wars heated mm. up between WWF and WCW, and there were no matter, I mean, no matter how hot they were trying to be head to head, there were some shows, some pay per views, were just like, you know, just a. And I think it's really amazing to say that when AEW got started, WWE was at such a low point creatively that yes. AEW would have done pretty well just by being an alternative with like some real production and some real talent involved. Mm -hmm. They did not have to be that good as an alternative. They just had oh, to no. be an alternative. It helped that they were a really, really good alternative for a improbably long run of shows and pay-per-views. Like they had a couple of bumps here and there, but like I can count on one hand, if that, the number of AEW pay-per-views that I wouldn't say were overall in the, like, B-plus or above range. Right. They've had a great run, and even if I'm I'm going to have some things to say about this one, still so happy this company exists. And oh, yeah, it's around I, absolutely. Five year. A lot of people, I think, I think even more now are, are having a harder time adjusting expectations, where it's the idea of, like, like you can you can honestly be hard on this show critique it let let you know let your voice be heard that it wasn't great overall it was i mean it was all right but yeah. it could have been better better but it's like there's too many there's going to be too many voices uh, online already have been i'm sure yeah. just where it's just like like oh this is it AEW is cooked this is you know <laughs> the downfall because because you've, you've really with AEW for the most part you've been honeymooned for I, quite a while. I, you're mentioning WCW a minute ago. This yeah. year I just read Brian Alvarez's book about uh, kind of the rise or the life and death of WCW. Mm -hmm. And if one really bad pay-per-view was all it took to kill a company. Oh my God. That, yeah, WCW would not have made it past 97. <laughs> like, it's just, no, 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 no. to say nothing of WWF in their time. Like, companies have ups and downs. Fans don't tend to either... They don't all go away, and they don't all show up because of one really bad or one really good show. And the way for some, it's baffling to me how a lot of fans like, tend to treat it that way. You'll know when it's when it's hitting the bad times, like when they when they really yeah. when you you'll see the numbers that signify a death knell. You know, not getting a million people on on your weekly TV show isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we've we've had a number of promotions that have tried to rev up and just have not been able to get there to kind of show us the example. Like, right. We're less than six months out from AEW putting between 75 and eight, an indeterminate number, but very large number of people in a stadium to watch wrestling. Oh, like, yeah. That's more than any show that did not involve uh, a dictatorial regime literally threatening to kill your family if you didn't show up. Outside of North Korea, biggest wrestling show in history. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I, 
whatever I, again, whatever I might have to criticize about this card, yeah, no, AEW is not going anywhere. All right, and then, uh, see, I think I mentioned I gave, uh, yeah, I gave the Battle Royale two and a half. Sure. I didn't hate it, it's just, they've had some really good ones, and it's, Again, they do them a lot, but it's a good way to get people keep people involved in the show. It's definitely a great way. It gets yeah. your talent on there, mm-hmm. and like ideally, everybody gets like a spot or two, and you just find yourself thinking, "I want to see more of this." That's or the that main, that's the main point. It's like you're, yeah. you're supposed to be able to once once the 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 general fighting is underway. It's like you're supposed to you'll see the ring. It's like you're supposed to clear out in the middle, and people get to do the get a moment to do the spots. Yeah. All right, so the third match of the pre-show is Hook defending the FTW Championship in an FTW Rules match against Wheeler Yuta. Now, apparently this is a, an ongoing thing in their feud because Hook challenged Yuta in a, for his pure championship at the last Ring of Honor show. Uh-huh. And so this is, and Yuta retained there, so now he's coming for Hook's title. Uh, thought it was fun. Uh, Yuta cuts the, you know, your home, everyone in this in this arena sucks because Long Island sucks promo to just establish that he's the bad guy before Hook comes out and attacks him. Uh, you gotta love the good old cheap heat. You really do. And the least expensive thing in that arena. <laughs> it's, it's FTW rules, so they kind of hit each other with weapons for mm-hmm. not a long match, a little over 10 minutes. Um, they kind of fight their way down the ramp. Um, it's fun. I I still like Hook. I think um, he's he's cooled a little bit, but I I still think he's fun. I think Yuta is uh, one of those guys who's just he could have a world championship run, but I feel like at worst this guy's gonna have like a kind of a Shelton Benjamin style. Like everybody is gonna know how good this guy is, whether or not it's recognized on TV. That's true. Like that. One way or another, that guy's got a really long career ahead of him, and it's pretty awesome that he's made that place in the Blackpool Combat Club. Uh, but yeah, ends with Hook uh, taps Yuta out by putting him in a red rum with the broken shaft of a hockey stick between his teeth. You know, average Thursday night on Long Island. Right. Uh, I gave that one a three, so good good energy going into the, That's fair. the show proper. Which kicks off with the uh, all-star eight-man tag team match between basically all of the runners-up in the Continental Classic with the exception of Andrade and Swerve, who have matches elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So it's Danielson, Claudio Castagnoli, Mark Briscoe, and Daniel Garcia against Jay Lethal, Brody King, Jay White, and Roosh. This honestly felt more, had more of that battle royal energy you were talking about. I felt like the actual battle royal. Like this felt a lot more That's like... That's true. Everybody comes in, get your chance to show what you can do. It, it was almost like the, the Continental Classic in miniature every time somebody tagged in or mm-hmm. out. And I thought it was a blast. Like, the, the nice thing they have going through it... Um, That's because it's going to have the minimum of team cohesion. They're not there to really be a team. It's just to yeah. beat the other guys. Yeah, the only guys who are really affiliated in this are Danielson and Claudio, but everybody else is just kind of tag in, hit whoever's in the ring on the other team. Yeah, exactly. Um Garcia gets uh, kind of a nice story through it all, though, for all the chaos, because uh, when he comes out, he's at the top of the ramp about to do his dance, and then Danielson's music hits, and he just comes out and walks past him, like, not even giving him a look, because uh, Danielson is a petty man with a long memory, among many other things, and he will... They invited him to the Blackpool Combat Club, but he went with the he went with the JAS, so, yeah. Even if they're on the same team, Danielson is not going to let him forget that. They um, let's see, who was it? 
Oh yeah, uh, Claudio, like he always does, gets his his strongman spots in. Mm-hmm. Does a, both a giant swing and like a standing brainbuster on Brody King. Uh, that dude is ridiculous. Um, otherwise, yeah, just fun match, good energy. Um, seventeen and uh, seventeen minutes fifty seconds, but it's shot by. Do you have anything that really jumped out from there? Not really. I think you touched on the most important thing, which was Garcia's storyline. Well, I, I think his story with Danielson was really the what turned out to be the bigger part of the match. Yeah, that he's he is this technical wrestler at heart, and that's that's always going to be something that comes out, even when uh, at the end of the match Briscoe does the dance with him a little bit, but he's yeah, he, he's dancing, but he's looking over at Danielson, and he's just thinking. <laughs> I love Danielson I love. disapproves the man who famously spent the better part of a, a year or more uh, arguing with his partner with his partner in WWE uh, and, and ending up going to therapy and hugging. Ah, <laughs> uh, team hell no. <laughs> uh, speaking of Danielson, I think that he didn't get a lot of offense in this match. I think mainly because they'd almost. They wanted to bubble wrap him ahead of his match with Okada. At, uh, because if they don't, he'll lose another eye. Yeah, that he's just like, we can't have any parts of him breaking or getting twisted around or falling off until, like, after his his highly promoted match in Japan. I think unintentionally AEW is showing that pursuing your passions too hard is going to get you put on the shelf really quick. Yeah. <laughs> Wrestling is... That and jumping off a, a slightly elevated ledge. That's one of the most amazing things in this whole year is I can't imagine how many creative plans got tweaked and rewritten. Not because somebody took like a, a jump off like a 40-foot ladder through a flame. He just jumped off a ramp, a ramp three feet to the floor, and his ankle exploded. There are so many people in AEW, it seems like, who are held together with scotch tape and chewing gum. <sighs> and then and then there's Kenny Omega, whose own body is trying to kill him. <laughs> Every morning he just wakes up and like looks himself in the mirror and goes, "You're not gonna win today. You're not." One of them's gonna develop alien hand syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> His final feud before retirement. Yeah. Speaking of, like, Roosh just announced that apparently he tore his hamstring like in the <laughs> second match of the Continental Classic, so he was working that whole tournament and this match with that injury. Uh, yeah, I think Brody King's still healing from, like, his broken wrist or whatever. He still had the, the brace on. Kingston won because he's the tankiest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's just, he, he just rolls. Like, his, all that pain just goes inside him and just comes out as emotion, and that's just how he processes all of it. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Yeah, so Garcia does get the pin for this match. There's a fun little exchange of finishes at the end, and he uh, rolls up Lethal for, for the three count. Uh, Jay Lethal um, might have a change ahead for him because... He lost every match in the Continental Classic mm-hmm. and then took the pin in this match. So mm. that feels like the kind of thing they do if they're setting up him wondering if uh, being teammates with Jarrett and Yes, but at is... least, thankfully, AEW doesn't stretch this idea out over a few months yeah, worth of to, losses. He needs to lose more and more and more humiliatingly. Yeah, I, don't, I still will never understand WWE's idea with that. Where I think Lana was sort of the apex of that, of just her getting, not just losing, but getting put through tables, like specifically getting picked up and slammed through tables every time. Someone has a humiliation fetish, and it's not the people having to take those losses. (laughs) Uh, Well, he's gone, and he's never coming back, so... I'll believe it when I see the death certificate. Yeah, I didn't think anything would get him out of creative, except for, I don't know, a stake through the heart from a quippy blonde (laughs) California girl, but... 
We're not talking about... Joke's on you, he's into that. I would not even begin to presume of what he is and isn't... Uh, isn't into. We're talking about Voldemort, right? By another name. (laughs) (laughs) You know when he came... Ah, okay, one last thing. (laughs) When he came out with that, uh, that egg to promote, uh, was it Red Notice or whatever it was? Yeah, yeah, no, no. One of his horcruxes, he got too confident. They basically begged the rock so hard, please show up. This is the anniversary of your debut in WWE. <laughs> Please show up. He, <laughs> nope, just some sideways promotion for his Netflix movie. <laughs> uh, well, he finally did show up, just in time to crush Cody Rhodes' dreams under his heel. But that's for another time. Yeah, so I gave the uh, the eight man match. Uh, I gave it a four. Just thought it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Great way to uh, start the crowd out. A lot of energy in that. Did not last that energy uh, because the next match everybody seemed kind of dead for. It was uh, Andrade El Idolo with CJ Perry against Miro. Uh, Just a singles match. Miro does not like that his uh, hot, flexible wife is Andrade's manager, and so he's going to kill Andrade for that. I mean, I I haven't watched a lot of the regular programming or, or any. Um, but it's just, I, I guess people, I mean, I understandably may not, they just may not be into the storyline there. Yeah, I think it was that. I think it also lost a lot of momentum because, uh, presumably they were going to build this up a little more, um, once Andrade was clear not going to make it to the finals of the Continental Classic, that's when they dial into the, okay, what will build your feud. But unfortunately, CJ Perry, uh, got a splinter in her finger, which, uh, then, turned into an infection that nearly cost her an arm, like got insanely serious, hospitalization, surgery, so... Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, I saw, I saw a picture of uh, her finger, and it, um, it was a scary and disturbing sight. But yeah, so I'm guessing a lot of momentum just went out of this because she couldn't be It was TV. like someone stuck one of Andre's fingers onto her hand. Pretty much, yeah. And so, um, but of course they couldn't really delay this one because it was pretty widely known that Andrade was on his way out of AEW, that he was uh, coming to the end of his time there. And I'm going to give a lot of credit to Tony Khan because a lot of other promotions, if somebody's finishing, then it's just like, all right, you know, if you've got a title, you're going to lose it in 90 seconds. Yeah. There's the, there's the door. Goodbye. He gets a, you know, a good showing in the Continental Classic and then a, almost a 50 minute match with Miro where he, he gets some good offense in. Yeah, I, I think Tony Khan is, is basically someone who does not feel the need to assert dominance <laughs> in so many words because it, it feels like it feels like he's fine with people looking good even you know even, as long as they're agreeable and and putting over you know putting putting over the people who are gonna you know on their way out he has no problem with them looking looking strong and good themselves because he knows they, they're going to leave and they're going to need their name to look strong to make money. Yeah. And I think he respects that. He doesn't seem like a guy who's going to burn a bridge just for, like, because, well, if I can't have you. No, and he's also, he's also made a point of acknowledging, hey, the wrestling, there's a wrestling world outside of our company. Yeah. Something WWE has struggled with <laughs> and only begrudgingly done in, uh, in some circumstances. Yeah, I think Regal's kid just went over and is uh, going to wrestle a match in all Japan or something, and everybody's just yeah. like, treating it like... I, a- like Again, as someone as someone who... like my, my I jumped into wrestling at the very beginning of the, of the Attitude Era and, you know, just the blow-up of wrestling there into mainstream. It was mind-blowing watching WWE 
acknowledged TNA when they brought Mickey James back for the Rumble. <laughs> it was just, you, are you seeing this? They are acknowledging, they're using their graphics. This is insane to watch. I mean, the fact that, like, Cody Rhodes, like, people even nod to AEW with him yeah. talking about, like, yeah, hey, I went and made a company with other guys. I went and did this stuff. Uh, CM Punk did still get the, uh, what was it, you still got it chance for his... <laughs> Which might have been a little tongue-in-cheek. Well, that, and they still blatantly refuse to acknowledge. They, they've they only just acknowledged uh, AJ Styles' time in NJPW. <laughs> but TNA is still a significant blank. Yeah. <laughs> or it's like, oh, who else was gone for, like, multiple years? And, and it's just like they just pretended he was just, he's just back. Oh, um, well, I mean, Christian went out for a while. Yeah. The, the Hardys did that. Like, yeah, you had... <laughs> Anytime they came back, it's like, oh, he's the first time in a WWE ring in blank years. It's like, oh, really? Where was he previously? Don't know. Yeah. Parts unknown. <laughs> just, a, just a nameless wanderer the whole time. <laughs> but yeah, so again, even if Andrade was, uh, you know, had one eye on the door for this match, I think he, he showed up and brought yeah. it. Really, the only thing I'm going to knock it down on, and I hate to do this, but wrestling is about interacting with the crowd. It's about the energy that you feed off of. And the crowd was just not picking up what they were putting down. Right. So, and I think, again, an AEW crowd, they kind of have an idea. It's like they know it's like, oh, he's on his way out. Yeah. They, they kind of they, they kind of had, had to have an idea of like, well, they're not giving the win to the guy who's walking out. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a kind of the Goldberg-Lesnar effect where it's just hard to get too invested in it. And, yeah. Um, overall, yeah, fun match, though, for what it was. I thought sure. like, they, they traded hits really well. Um, I'm I think Miro is still like one of the best like offensive guys they or offensive guys they have just mm-hmm. for the like the the way he deals out like chops strikes kicks. Um, would love to see him in like the more of a title picture going forward. Sure. Um, we do eventually get a swerve uh, on this, uh, not the swerve who's coming later, but uh, when. Andrade gets uh, Miro in the figure four and bridges it into a figure eight. Uh, he's too close to the ropes, and then his own manager, C.J. Perry, reaches in to sweep his wrists out. Gasp. Yeah. Treachery. A treacherous blonde, who could have called it? He, uh, yep, gets a, I think it's a, yeah, pump kick to the face. Manages to kick out of that, but then Miro locks in the game over, and that gets the submission. I realize this probably wasn't what they planned when they initially put C.J. together with Andrade, but I am kind of wondering, like, why, why, why? Why didn't they just have her and Miro become a pair when she returned? It's, it, I think the storyline they're going with is she would like that he doesn't want her, but he doesn't want any other, anyone else to have her. Yeah, that seems kind of the direction they're going with it. And I don't know. There's a part of me that's like, you mentioned AEW fans. They kind of know what's what. Doing that kind of thing with real-life couples is always yeah, a little... Hard to put over on a, a spark yeah. crowd, but we'll see where it goes. Could work. Um, they did acknowledge in the scrum afterwards that Andrade uh, is done with AEW, but um, he had a good run. I gave it, uh, I actually wrestled with the score on this one. I gave it two and three quarters. Sure. Just because, again, what they did was good, but the overall match just doesn't work because the crowd is just not really getting into it. There just mm-hmm. wasn't that engagement. And again, Due to real life stuff, nobody's fault, but the build to it just felt a little haphazard. Yeah. All right. Next up, we have the uh, match for the AEW Women's Championship with Timeless Tony Storm, accompanied by Lutha, defending against Riho. Um, 
What is there to say about Timeless Tony Storm? You don't have to. She will. No. She's... Maybe it's that she comes out of a silent era, but words cannot do her justice. I, I will say I kind of wondered when they, when they segued out of the just she's going generically crazy thing they were doing around mm-hmm. mid-year into the old-fashioned movie star. I, was, I wasn't sure they'd pull that off, but she has gone all the way into it, and it's been a blast to oh, watch. Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. Uh, I know uh, my wife Gina has talked about this, but she loves the movie uh, Sunset Boulevard. She loves that whole era, and so this this sort of uh, lunatic uh, silver screen pinups, Tony is probably her favorite gimmick in a very long time in wrestling. Uh, she's up against Riho, who's kind of going into that Charlotte Flair thing of just sort of showing up and getting a title shot. Um, I don't know if it was a scheduling thing, but the the build of this one was a little bit, oh, yeah, Rio's here. Let's go. I, the only reason this loses me is because I get that she's very over in Japan, but I have no real access to watching anything she does. Yeah, I, I keep wanting to look at and see, and I, I know that, you know, with people who've worked primarily in other countries and other styles, sometimes it takes a little while to translate that over. And I think uh, Japanese wrestling in particular is like that. I think Lucha... It has its own rhythms, but ultimately you've got people doing like triple flips off the ropes mm-hmm. and like all of these insane acrobatic moves. Like the the nuances of that style can take a little getting into, but you can understand the thrill of it immediately. The like striking nature of Japan, I think the more I don't know if fantastical is the right word, but just this sort of like I think Joshi wrestling in particular tends to have a certain like heightened uh trying to find the right way to phrase this the violence is not mi- like you've got some joshi wrestlers who will hit and they will literally look like they're taking a fi- like the opponent's face off a lot of other ones like riho it, it just sort of feels like you're supposed to see something a little more storied and stylized in her strikes and hits because they don't they don't look like they're doing that much damage she is wee but mighty that's the idea yeah and I don't know. I just, I, I'm still not seeing it. Unfortunately, I, for a lot of people, especially in our viewing audience, watching with us at least, um, it doesn't come across and they don't buy it. Yeah. And maybe again, part of the... Uh, well, I have I have no problem with it, honestly. It's like I root for Darby Allen. It's like I got it, you know. But see, Darby makes it work. And I think we... Oh, we yeah. You believe before. it. Well, yeah, yeah. You believe... He, well, especially because with, with the male wrestlers, with the bigger ones... He can literally just fling himself. Yeah, it's literally, he throws, he's only like 120 pounds, but he throws every every piece of it at them at 60 miles an hour. I'd err on the side of 150 just to be. Yeah, probably. <laughs> the ink probably adds a few. <laughs> but yeah, so all that said about Riho, I still thought this was a fun match. I, uh, Tony's awesome. Um, I, d- I did like them working, because... Uh, uh, Tony came out in uh, like her, you know, her fur coat and her fancy mm-hmm. attire, but she takes it off and she's got a classic like single strap wrestling singlet on. She under does, it. Uh, and she looks—it's very Andre the Giant esque, and it kind of felt like they didn't hit this too hard. But when at the end, Riho actually gets her up for a power slam, it almost felt like they were. She did it. Maybe. She slammed her in the silver <laughs> dome, ripped all the muscles across her back. <laughs> She slammed the 1,450-pound giant that is Tony Storm. <laughs> uh, yeah, but no, it was it was a fun one. Um, she didn't put her away, though, because she didn't do a leg drop. She did not. That was her, her fatal error. She hit her, I think it was, uh, yeah, she got a two-count after that, went straight for the pin. That was her mistake. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, ends with uh, Tony doing a move that looked, um, on first watch, it looked a little weird. Yeah. Uh, I, I think part of it was just the angle. She sort of pulls Riho across her back and then twists her over into a DDT position, and it just sort of looked like they both fell down midway through the move. Watching it again, it makes sense, and I think... Right. <laughs> I think at a different angle, I'm like, okay, that's actually a pretty cool-looking finisher. I think it's called the Storm One. It's something she's done previously. But yeah, in the in the moment, it just uh, it sort of looked like they'd both just tripped in the middle of the move. Yeah. Uh, but she does uh, pin her after that, so Tony retains. Uh, and Mariah May, her biggest fan, comes out with a basket full of rose petals and just <laughs> runs. <laughs> Yeah, tosses them out, and and Tony Storm luxuriates them and does a, a, a snow angel move. Literally just overhead shot of her just lying on the mat, writhing about on her uh, on her pile of rose petals. We're about midway through this behind the music, uh, where nothing is going to go wrong at all, ever. <laughs> yeah, so I, I gave that one three and a half. Thought it was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I... I didn't necessarily think they needed to put the belt on Tony, but because I, I think her gimmick works whether or not she's a champion. It does, but it really makes more sense that she's obsessive of ha- over having the title and because she's desperate for relevance is the idea. Yeah. And I think down the road we're going to see, I don't think Mariah may, obviously there's going to be a split there. I don't right. think Mariah's going to be the one to take the title off her. I do think she's going to get the belt back before Tony does, after Tony loses it. And oh, that's going to be when. Oh, oh, that, yeah, yeah, that, well, it's going to be preceded by yeah, Tony losing the belt, being going even more nuts. And then Mariah tries to help and ends up winning the title, which just makes her even more furious. Yeah. <laughs> and Mariah actually, she did have her in-ring debut on the most recent Dynamite uh-huh. and, uh, had a really good showing. Uh, I, I mean, speaking of the Japanese style, like that, Mariah has some insanely nasty looking drop kicks. Uh, and then Diana Parazzo came out to challenge oh, her. Oh, yeah, so, that's right. Yeah, we've got a new, uh, a new arrival in the women's division who's got her eye on the title. And if rumors are to be believed, that may not be the only one coming in the next month or so. Mm. But we will see about that. All right, next up on that. Okay, next up is a match that. Um, was uh, kind of thrown together at the last minute. It is Swerve Strickland with right. against uh, Dustin Rhodes. Unfortunately, now. Keith Lee was not medically cleared to wrestle. Yeah, this was supposed to be Swerve versus Keith Lee, uh, a match they were putting on to finally stop people from asking them when they were going to have the match because <laughs> Swerve uh, turned on Keith like eight or nine months ago. and mm-hmm. then they... Yeah, uh, Swerve going nuts against uh, the acclaimed is what sparked right. his, his, his rise. Yeah, that was like him really getting to play like full nasty heel. And mm-hmm. yeah, so he attacked Keith Lee, took him out, and we all thought, okay, Keith Lee's going to come back and they'll have their match. Except I think when that happened, Swerve was in the build to all in, and mm-hmm. it just, the timing didn't work out. So they were going to finally check that one off, and Keith Lee is, was unfortunately not cleared for the match. So it's going to be just one of those white whales of wrestling, maybe. No, I think it'll happen. It's just an, an unfortunate timing. Yeah. Again, yeah, it's, it's it 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 happens a lot. At least at least we see it happening a lot in AEW because they're more transparent about it. Yeah. I I do think um, there's been an interesting conversation about this one. Uh, a lot of people thought this match should have been like a 30 second squash. That Swerve should have just you know stomped him into the ground. I and was that's th- it. I was thinking about that, and uh, whenever whenever you're ready, I'll explain why that's bullshit. Go for it. Oh, okay. Well, it's bullshit. Because the other, the flip side to this is the fact that 
Swerve is awesome. Swerve is great. But you have to remember to show that he's mortal. Yeah. And he's facing a guy in Dustin who is a decades long. He's got the experience over him where even if you do surprise him, hobble him, try to take him out, he's got enough heart and he's got enough and he's got enough uh, he's got enough um, experience behind him that he's he's he knows how to work around being seriously injured in a wrestling match. Yeah, and honestly, that's something that I loved about this match that I ended up like liking a lot more than I expected. Because for a son that came together at the last minute, this match tells us a lot about the heel swerve is going to be going yes. into 2024. Because he attacks him ahead of time and does a stomp on a cinder block to, uh, to Dustin's ankle to try to take him out. Right. And when Dustin gets in the ring, Swerve thinks he's got it. It's no problem. So he's, he's beating him down, but he's got this thing locked up. And so when Dustin starts fighting back, because, yeah, he's an old pro who's been doing this, like you said, for decades, uh, Swerve got a little ahead of himself. And it also showcases something that they have been showing off in other Swerve matches, that the longer a match goes on, goes on kind of like MJF, Swerve starts getting worried and panicky. Yeah. He starts is like, oh, he start, you start seeing the doubt creep in, and, the, and he only feels reassured or confident again once he has that, that win. Yeah, he comes in with a plan, and if the plan goes, it's great. But when somebody starts, like, working around him, that's when he's on his back foot a little bit. Yeah, he, yeah he, it's, it's good. It's, it's, it's very good storytelling. Yeah, and I, again, did not expect that for a match that wasn't going to, like, was not in the, anybody's plan, like, 12 hours earlier. I think it was gonna it was gonna showcase the same things, but in a different way. Because you yeah. know, Keith Lee and, and Dustin are not the same people. No, but both from Texas. So oh, definitely, basically identical. Oh, sure. <laughs> they share face paint. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that. That yeah. Again, no, no one's. I don't think. I don't know what people. People probably weren't expecting a lot from this match. But again, Dustin Runnels, he he, he is a guy who knows his way forwards and backwards in the industry. Swerve is a very, very talented man, and he's up and coming. And it's like you put that together and you make it work like they did, and it's magic. Yeah. I do not understand people who are like, this. This shouldn't have been as long as it was, or they. People were actually surprised that this was a that it turned out the way it was. Like, I, I like, you watch that and you go, okay, there's no way Swerve's not winning. Right. But what you see from bell to bell is the most important thing. Wrestling fans have this very binary view of what is or isn't weak for a wrestler here's the here's the problem they only want it's like for for people who seem to love wrestling so much they seem to forget the importance of the storytelling in the ring yeah via the athleticism and only seem to care about the win yeah that not to throw all the blame on wwe but a lot of that is kind of their thing where it's like the, somebody getting beaten down is it, and then the story happens when somebody picks up a mic and spends 15 minutes being like, and this is why I beat him up. And it's like, no, just give us like 10 minutes of Swerve and Dustin fighting, and we know like what Swerve's like confident about. We yeah. know where, where, what shakes him. And we see, like you said, when his plan doesn't go the way he's expecting, he, he gets meaner because... The go home on this was pretty ugly. It was very ugly, and it, show, and it again it showcases a lot of of it did a it, this match short as it was went so far in showcasing everything you want to see Swerve. Yeah. To see in Swerve. Here, here's the thing: I really like Swerve as a performer, and I know he's great. 
because despite the fact that I know he's a he's a cool guy and he's he's a great wrestler, I still hate him for beating Hangman. Yeah, I oh still I hate him for it, and it's like that. And I was thinking about that. I was like, I was like, I'm not I'm not just being. I was like, I'm not just marking out over this, am I? I said, no, no, it's, he did his job. I yeah. hate him as a heel. <laughs> I hate the fact that he won. He went into his house and cut a promo yeah, on exactly. his baby. Yeah, just in, in, in my own, yeah, and just in what I, in what I watch in terms of storylines is like, oh, God, I hate that forever. I want, I want him to lose. And so Hangman actually did come back on Dynamite, and they mm-hmm. ended the show with him and Swerve, like, getting pulled apart in the ring, and everybody's nice. like, oh, they're doing a third one already, which I wouldn't hate. I but don't think, also, I don't, I don't think they're rushing towards that. That's the thing that, is, yeah. I think this is kind of it's it's a New Year's marker. It's going to be like we'll see them go have another match, but it's probably going to be in six or eight months, and there will be a title involved. Here's what I think that build is going to be: Hangman's going to keep pursuing him. Swerve's going to duck him, and he's going to, but he's going to justify it by saying, "I already beat him twice. Yeah, I don't have to do it again. I proved all I need to prove." Yeah, so he's going to do everything he can to stonewall Hangman until. You're right. There's a title in the picture, and there's no avoiding it or something like that. Yeah. But I look forward to seeing that. So, yeah, I gave this match um, three and a quarter. Just mm-hmm. um, so much more than I was expected. Again, was a solid match with yeah. classic storytelling and wrestling. Yeah. Just like and a real testament to both Swerve and to Dustin for just putting that together and Absolutely. bringing it. All right. Then the next one, another match that um, had got put together due to some very unfortunate real-life events, and I don't think quite came out as well. This is the other eight-man tag match on the card with uh, Ricky Starks and Big Bill, your tag team champions, along with Kanosuke Takeshita and Powerhouse Hobbs, the Don Callis family, versus Sting, Darby Allin, Chris Jericho, and the recently returned Sammy Guevara. Eh. So again, this was supposed to be... Ricky Starks and Bill defending their titles against Jericho and Omega, who were the number one contenders. Right. Um, then uh, Omega got uh, taken out by diverticulitis, uh, out indefinitely. Sammy's back, and still not quite clear on why he turned face, because he was with the Don Callis family when he went out, and uh, he had a baby, and Don Callis gave him a painting where Sammy's holding his baby, mm-hmm. and that was infuriating. I don't know. I mean... We have friends who have recently had children, and I, I thought like giving them adorable pictures of like their newborn was was a nice thing to do. But now I'm rethinking that. I, I don't know. I <laughs> it, it was whatever they needed to do to thrust Guevara back into the loving arms of Jericho. Yeah, that's uh, that's another thing that's going to be uh, <laughs> five years strong in AEW. <laughs> also, a weird little note. Uh, initially, it was going to be um, from the Don Callis group. It was going to be Hobbs and Kyle Fletcher, and then they just kind of. Uh, shuffled in Takeshita without really explaining it, which I love. Happy, always happy. Pretty to see sure Takeshita. it was just like, yeah, we just want to have another high. Pro- I mean, because also they had recently fought Jericho and, yeah. and Takeshita, so there's like, I want to keep something bubbling there. Yeah, but uh, not much against this match. It just it it was kind of messy. It was thrown together, and much as I love Sting and am amazed that he's looking the way he does at 63 now. Yeah, everything just kind of slowed down with him. And while there's a lot of stuff behind this that I don't think we need to get into, the crowd was hostile to Jericho, mm-hmm. and that really also kind of killed things whenever the he and his face team were supposed to be rallying. So, yeah, crowd wasn't there. Um, I, I saw a tweet. I don't remember if it was during the show or after, but just someone just tweeted Buddhist. <laughs> 
Well, the weird thing was they sang the song. That's like a Pavlovian Here, conditioning. It thing is at this because point. again, wrestling crowds love to chant things. <laughs> they will chant it for heels. They will chant it for faces if it's catchy enough, <laughs> and then they'll go right back. It's, it, it literally is a a pre like a psycho psychological preconditioning <laughs> where they have to sing the song, and then they're like, oh wait, and then they're like, once once the the conditioning's worn off again, boo. <laughs> oh wait, yeah. Well, yeah, get, match goes on 15 minutes. Um, it happened. Yeah, not a lot to say about the content. Just uh, ends with uh, Sammy Guevara pinning Ricky Starks after a 450 splash. So probably going to see him and Jericho challenge for those titles. Yeah, that's probably the, the way. That's pro, pro, you know, unless, yeah, unless there's any changes that happen. But, yeah, uh, yeah it's going to be probably Guevara and Jericho chasing the titles. Makes sense, which I... It's it's weird in a company with this stacked of a tag division that you don't have more of like your traditional tag teams kind of in the picture. Yeah, that like FTR has been up there for a while, but like as of Dynamite, Private Party's back. Yes, that was pretty exciting. Good to see. Good to see them come back. Get a get a nice reaction from the yeah. crowd. Um, oh yeah, the Hardys. Whatever happened to those guys? I don't know. Yeah, actually, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, there was a story going around a little bit about Matt being unhappy with their creative, and since then, not that much. So, uh, I mean, he should just talk to Jeff about keeping things on track. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I, I don't blame. Uh, don't blame Tony for being a little gun shy on that one. But yeah, so uh, not not really much else to say about that one. Yeah, uh, I, g- I gave it a two. Just crowd sure. wasn't there, momentum couldn't build. Um, some great little bright spots, like when like Darby and Takeshita, whenever they were in the ring. Mm-hmm. Uh, Takeshita hit like a, I think it was a blue thunder bomb off the top turnbuckle and literally like spun Darby. Oh, yeah. 360 oh. degrees over his head. That was the highlight of the down. match. Takeshita is so strong and Darby is nimble slash light <laughs> enough that like really the big highlight of that match was Takeshita and Darby going at it and Darby getting ping, like ping ponged around the. And to be fair, they did immediately follow that up with the two of them had a singles match on Dynamite and mm-hmm. it was insane. So yeah. glad that one. Like, Hopefully Takeshita is going to get a little more of his momentum back coming into the new year because every time that guy's in the ring with somebody, you're just reminded, like, oh, yeah. dude's an athlete, he's got that charisma, he's got that vibe. And just let him cut promos in Japanese because he just sure. smolders it really well. Yeah. All right, so that was that one. Um, next up, I'm going to say this this match hurt me a little bit because I, I was really looking forward to this one, and I just don't think it worked. This was Julia Hart defending uh, the TBS championship under house rules against Abaddon. Yeah, I'm very sad this one didn't go as well either. Yeah, because Julia has had an amazing uh, rookie run, and I like Abaddon a lot. I like a supernatural gimmick that people I know you do. You've, you've been hot. You've been pretty appreciative of her from the start. Yeah, and it just there was there was a lot of. There was a lot of stuff going into this that could be fun, but and again, I didn't think Abaddon was going to win this. I was upset that the the house rule was biting is legal, and there was one biting spot. Yeah, I think I was reading up on it later, and apparently there were a few other ones, but it didn't feel like a big moment. It didn't feel like Julia was having to adjust her style to avoid it or anything yeah. else. Yeah, just great idea. Love that for you know the zombie. Yeah, I can can bite as much as they please, but yeah. It just didn't really it didn't click. I, think. I, I know she's smoldering hot, uh, goth girl, but at the same time, the idea that Abaddon can get away with biting should put the fear of God into her. Right, even if we don't... I'm also a little sad that we didn't get to find out if uh, if Black Mist affects a zombie or not. I, yeah. I was kind of, that's one of those just nerd wrestling questions I was curious about. 
I think the overall issue is that the whole zombie gimmick, it does lend itself to a slower style of wrestling. Mm -hmm. Like, Abaddon is an aggressive monster, but they're not going to be, like, throwing, like, attack after attack after attack. It's like hard hit, crawl around, sell the gimmick. And also Julia's thing is, you know, she's the, like, the evil goth witch. So that's, like... They both had a lot of moments that led to rest spots, which is fine if you then ratchet it up as the match goes on. It just right. felt like they didn't hit that next gear. They did not. But, again, Julie Hart at 22 is, like, a better wrestler than a lot of, you know, female competitors five, ten years older than her. This is something she'll refine. And, ultimately, I hope that uh, people don't beat her up too much about that go-home because... She does a moonsault. It's normally a very good moonsault. This one, she over-rotates just a little and noticeably lands on her feet and has to kind of drop mm -hmm. forward to cover Abaddon. Oh, yeah. Little awkward. But, again, everybody, anybody can have an off night. And, honestly, as a cheerleader, I, I've got to imagine a lot of her instinct is you complete the rotation and land on your feet. So I can't imagine how much, how much muscle memory she had to unlearn to, like, pancake the way you should do with a moonsault. Either way, it was a mistake, but it's just unfortunately it followed the previous entire rest of the match, so it yeah. just didn't look that it just looked that much worse by comparison. Let's see. We also uh, Sky Blue shows up, who's kind of affiliated with Julia, but not apparently with the House of Black. It's a little unclear how all that's working out. Um, does have a fun bit where she runs out, attacks Abaddon in the corner, and then tries to duck under the ring to hide. And Abaddon just chases. She knows that trick. Yeah, just chases her under the ring and drags her out from under but that does leave her open to julia's attack so yeah julia pins her to retain um i, I gave it two and three quarters i like both competitors i feel like that was generous but yeah I, you're a giver I, I went back and forth the main thing is i just i'm this maybe it's unfair to credit this to an individual match i do appreciate we have two women's titles and a non-title women's match on the card yeah and it does feel like Tony Khan is making a real effort to highlight the women's division and to put new faces in the in the title scene. So I, I give it credit for that, even if, yeah, the actual execution just didn't quite land this time. Mm -hmm. All right. You mean like Julia? <clears throat> oh, she landed. That was her problem. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, at this point, again, we had a great opener. We had some fun matches, but the uh, card had been... A little iffy, and I think we were watching with a crowd that was getting a little uh, a little groany at that point. But here's where we hit the part in the card where I was just like, okay, it would take a conscious effort for them to screw this up going forward. Because mm -hmm. the final uh, three scheduled matches on this card are Christian Cage versus Adam Copeland for the TNT Championship. Uh, Eddie Kingston versus John Moxley in the finals of the Continental Classic and MJF versus Samoa Joe. And yep. It would just take so much conscious effort to screw this up, and they did not do that. So it's like, whatever I've said about the show up till now, the basically the last three matches on this card, the last three announced matches were what I love about this company. Still not sure about that fourth match they snuck in there, but we can talk about that in a second. So uh, Christian Cage and Adam Copeland, no DQ match for the TNT Championship. I'm, I'm going to just keep calling him Edge during this mat or during this conversation. I know that it's it's going to take some practice to get out of. Just saying Copeland feels weird, but he's into it. Call him Edgeland. Edgeland, yeah, fun fun match. Him and Christian. Edge your way into Copeland. 
There it is. That's that's the mnemonic device for it. But you don't want to do too much edging. <sighs> so we have uh, Christian Cage, I should say, is joined at ringside by Nick Wayne and Shayna Wayne, who turned heel in a, a shocking, vicious betrayal when she sided against the man who nearly pancaked her son's skull between two steel chairs right in front of her. What, what what did her son do before that? It doesn't matter. Oh, no, okay. no, but no, just to- totally heartless. I, I mean, I just I'm curious as to what may have ended up getting him in that position. <laughs> he was just you know trying to. He's, he's a wrestling fan. He was helping his... someone across the street, and Adam and Adam just grabbed him <laughs> and threw him in the ring. What a monster! What yeah. a heartless Canadian monster. Sorry, redundant. <laughs> yeah. So uh, they've. Everybody kind of figured this was coming because they announced, I think, I forget what the event was uh, with Edge and uh, Copeland and Christian on, a, on one of the Dynamite episodes. Um, Christian retained and everybody's like, yeah, okay, they're having a rematch. They did. And as soon as they announced no DQ, everybody was pretty hyped because, you know, these guys have a little something to do with the development of the mm-hmm. TLC match in, uh, in WWE. And while they can't call it that, they made a very deliberate point to pull out tables and to pull out ladders and to pull out chairs all at different points in the match. And it was just a blast. I loved this one. Like we, we, we were just talking about the Hardys and just kind of wrestlers who have kind of like the years have taken a toll on them. But Copeland and, and Christian both just look so good. Maybe it's just that they, they do. They, they, they know each other. They've got that rhythm and chemistry from like having done this since like middle school together. But well, that's a hundred percent. They know they take care of each other. Yeah. And oh, man, I just, just, they fought all over this. This got the crowd back up after the last couple kind of slowed them down. Everybody was so hyped for this match. I um, think the only thing that slowed it down was the flaming table spot. Yes, but even that they recovered pretty well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just a matter of like they, yeah. <laughs> they had to, they had to layer the uh, lighter fluid enough because <laughs> it evaporates so quickly. Yeah. And like I think he lit it, but it had gone out by the time they were actually getting back in position for the spot. So Copeland had to light it yes, again. Yes, for- that is true. And then uh, was it Wayne? Nick Wayne got skidded across and he didn't yeah, go through. Yeah, so he just like his tailbone kind of bounced <laughs> off the edge of the table. <laughs> just. That poor kid is making a, is is doing a good job of getting killed every every pay per view. You see what he connected to about Darby Allen. You see kind of what yes. bonds them together is just a complete contempt for their own spinal columns. Oh man. Um, yeah, I, I really have nothing to say except this, this match was full of fun spots. These two guys just beating the crap out of each other with everything near to hand. Um, Copeland does the spot, which he, he did at WrestleMania against Roman, too, where he uh, he grabs, like, a, a piece of metal. I think in this case it was a lead pipe, and mm-hmm. he gets someone in a, cro- in a cross face with the pipe right. between their right. teeth. Uh, which, oh, my gosh, that looks nasty. <laughs> Probably didn't taste good, either. It, they, it broke up when Christian reaches the ropes, and the ref calls for Copeland to break the hold, which always kind of bugs me, because it's a no-DQ match. Like, what are you going to do if he doesn't well, release? Well, I... Again, yeah, it's like technically rope breaks are a thing, but it's just like there's no punishment for yeah. breaking it. But he's he's the face, even in uh, even in this kind of match. Um, yeah. So I'm talking about muscle memory, I'm pretty sure starting at five count <laughs> will get a wrestler to break anything that they're holding on to. Let's see. So yeah, they. Um, oh my gosh, there was that bit where uh, it's not a Canadian destroyer. I think uh, Christian just does like a power bomb off the top of the ladder mm-hmm. onto it. Oh yeah. Like. Wow, this was one that I wanted to go back and watch again. I probably still may, just because... Ah, <laughs> oh, dang. Uh, 
Shayna Wayne, uh, who I worry if they go too far with her, she's going to hit Vicky Guerrero territory of just sort of like, okay, our sympathy for your tragic loss is, uh, is, does not cover the amount of TV time you've had. But so far, I'm loving her. I think that her, her turn to dark news widowhood. Good news, she's hot. That helps. <laughs> but yeah, so this ends with, uh, like we mentioned, the spot where uh, Copeland uh, puts powerbombs Nick Wayne across the outer edge of a table, not quite through it. He was meant to go through it, yeah. but whoops. He passed through the hot air over the burning table. <laughs> eh. And uh, gets back into the ring, uh, hits Christian with his own kill switch, his own finisher, yes. and pins him. And Adam Copeland is a championship belt holder for the first time since he retired in 2014. So he... Uh, Thus solving the problem forever. Yeah. What a what a great... I mean, you just imagine all the defenses ahead of him, all the guys lining up to... What's this behind him in the ring? A dinosaur. I, I looked very closely. I did not see him mouth the words clever girl as he turned around and got chokeslammed well, by... Well, that's, that's everyone's loss. Right. But yeah, kill switch is immediately behind him in the ring... Uh, oh, I'm going to say real quick, the match between Copeland and Christian, I gave it four and a half. Cool. Just chaotic, top to bottom fun. Do you have anything else on that one? No, let's talk about the next one. Yeah, so the <laughs> next one. So uh, immediately uh, Kill Switch attacks him, uh, choke slams him through a table. Um, he has not forgotten the uh, time that Copeland hit him with not one, but two of the concertos, which... Honestly, I actually really loved that spot because he mm -hmm. hits him with it and then it steps back a little bit amazed as, as then Luchasaurus starts to get back up and he just immediately hits him with a second one to keep him down. Well, but, yeah, it's like, it, it's like having the ability to see when Michael Myers is about to get up. <laughs> you double tap that. Yep. But yeah, so he uh, attacks Copeland pretty viciously, lays him out, and he's holding the clipboard. He's like, well, hey, I have a contract for a yeah. title defense. I should cash it in now. So how do you feel about the, the I don't know if it's a reveal exactly, but that this works as money in the bank rules, that you can cash in anytime. I'm sure they said something on commentary or mentioned it at some point, maybe, but it did kind of come out of nowhere. It doesn't surprise me. It does not surprise me that they would utilize it this way. That it's like, oh, yeah, no, it's a contract good for whenever. And whenever means whenever. Yeah. I guess my only thing is that pretty much they've always previously showed this as, like, you, you can go to Tony Khan and he'll book the match anytime. Right. That it's not usually a charge out and announce. And I kind of wonder, I'm like, it, is, it, it's going to be weird if this is no longer the way it works going forward. Because they're going to have these number one uh, contender well, I'm matches the again. Gimmick is, I'm betting the gimmick is it's, like, you know, like Money in the Bank. It's yeah. pretty... It's pre-vetted and pre-done so that it's like it's it literally is whenever. And uh, I'm inclined to kind to be okay with this because if anybody deserved to have this come back to him karmically, it is Adam Copeland. Yes. All the way back from New Year's Revolution in 2006. Uh, so yeah, uh, Kill Switch is ready to cash in. He's got the clipboard. He's handing it to the ref. But, but wait, Christian has a better idea. And he's, uh, well, he's the patriarch, so obviously he deserves the first shot. Killswitch doesn't seem happy about it. No. But That's Chris weird, though. But Christian weird. whispers in his ear. <laughs> I, I'm thinking it's, I know where you buried Marco, but who can, who can say for sure? At any rate, Killswitch hands him the contract. Christian actually scribbles his name on it real quick. Yeah. Just because apparently there was a blank spot to fill that in. And, uh, well, you know, tiny dinosaur arms. Killswitch couldn't write it in himself. 
But he uh, hands it in. The match is announced, and we have a TNT championship match between Adam Copeland defending against Christian Cage, accompanied by Killswitch, Nick Wayne, and Shane Wayne. And Christian immediately spears him and pins him, and Christian's or sorry, Copeland's brief but memorable TNT title run comes to an end. And Christian Cage is our new old TNT champion. <laughs> I, I do appreciate that they both used each other's finishers to uh, mm-hmm. to, to end the match. That was such a great little, oh, we're best friends, screw you, <laughs> touch. Um, again, the whole reason that I'm okay with this, despite um, the, the lawyer brain part of me kind of is a little like, wait, but how do the contracts work? But this is exactly the kind of dick move that Christian Cage yes, would pull. Yes, 100%. So, yeah, like... Not only, not only, to benefit himself at the cost of not only Adam, but also... His uh, his own quote unquote protege, the man he brainwashed into following him, <laughs> was brainwashed slash ba- blackmailed, because clearly he whispered something to immediately get him to back down. Very clearly, like, and and and, a, and back down for something he clearly wanted. So that I'm sure that's not foreshadowing for anything. Yeah, they're they're uh, teasing. They've been teasing for a long time a turn of uh, kill switch against him. I think the only question is, is he going to do it on his own, or are they going to have uh, Jack Perry return? as a face and reunite Jurassic Express against the uh, against the patriarchy. What do you mean? They don't, you don't think the heel turn is still viable for Jack? Um, <laughs> I think we can all just pretend 2024 didn't, or 2023 didn't happen for Jack Perry might be the, uh, or rather he went on hiatus after the, uh, the Four Pillars match. Nobody knows what happened after that. Who cares? Moving on. NDA for reality. That is for the future, because next up we have the one that I... This is the one that I was looking forward to. This is the one that I had for my match of the night. Mm -hmm. John Moxley versus Eddie Kingston in the finals of the Continental Classic. Yep. And I'll be honest, this match, uh, you don't really have to discuss much. They beat the shit out of each other. That's really it. Like, there's not really spots. I mean, there's a few bits here and there, but it really is like, I think Eddie hits him with like the, his spinning back fist like four times. Yeah. The, like, the story here is Moxley says, prove to me you deserve to win. And then Eddie Kingston goes, I'm gonna. <laughs> what I love about Eddie Kingston, there's so many things. He's an underdog and so many wrestling promotions. You tell how do you tell an underdog story? It's like we said earlier, you just have that person lose over and over and over again. And boom, they're an underdog. With Eddie, it's not that he loses all the time. It's that when he loses, it's because of consistent character things. Oh, yeah. Like, it's his tendency to throw himself into, like, chopping contests with guys like Ishii or uh, Suzuki, who he's just, like, you know... you. you he you, loves the fight to the detriment of getting the win. Yeah, like, he just he gets mad, he sees red, and he just throws himself into something. And then a guy like, you know, Claudio turns that on him with just raw power, or a guy like Danielson turns it into like a submission or a fast moving strike and for all the great stories of the continental classic the the drama of eddie kingston is just amazing to me like for me this is what i look at and i see the drama that everybody else seems to see when roman reigns stomps around a ring and monologues for 20 minutes and kingston's kingston's whole ethos is fine you're better than me but i'm gonna beat you yeah and in the course of this tournament, he has beaten uh, Brian Danielson, who he had never beaten in a one-on-one match prior to that. And he had, prior to this match, he'd never beaten Moxley in a one-on-one. In fact, even though they'd had, they'd been kind of on opposite sides for most of 2023, the last time they had a match was um, back during the infamous, uh, it was Full Gear, the uh, exploding ring. <laughs> 
the uh, exploding sparkler the match, sparkler palooza match. Yeah, since then they've been in tag matches against each other, but this is the first time they've actually squared off one on one. And uh, man, th- these two guys just. They're, they're so in sync with each other. Uh, you had Danielson on commentary as well, which is a lot of fun. I know we, we were kind of talking all over it, but... Uh, I don't know when it happened because he kind of snuck in there. Yeah, but... Well, he's somehow covering one of his own eyes makes him and twice as hard And yet we had the detect. blind spot. <laughs> but yeah, so it's... A quick word for the Continental Classic, by the way. When they first announced it, I was kind of like, eh, round-robin tournaments, all the point systems, I don't know, but... It, it's been amazing, like, across the board. The the no interference rule has made it such, like, a triumph of just, like, pure mm-hmm. in-ring storytelling. I think just about everybody, with the exception of Jay Lethal, who I think they're they're planning something for, looks so much better on the far side of it than they did yeah. going in. And the story with Eddie Kingston of him finally having won not one but two championships. He's got the Ring of Honor world title. He's got this New Japan open weight title. And then he's so confident he puts them both on the line and loses his first, I think, two matches. And suddenly it's like, oh, he got overconfident. He's about to throw it all away. Up to this evening, I was like, what if the story they're telling is that he's this close to getting it back and the guy who stops him from getting it is, like, his brother, John Mm -hmm. Moxley? And, again, something I love with AEW. I'm like, there is a story there. It's a heartbreaking story, but, oh, my gosh, they, they might do that, too. Thankfully, they didn't. We, uh, we do see at the end of it all, Eddie Kingston, like, it's not even a big spot. It's not like a huge elaborate go They just, they square up in the ring. They're trading shots. Eddie hits him with another spinning back fist. Oh, yeah. It's like an MMA fight, like just one really good solid hit, and Mox goes down, lights out. Uh, yeah, and Eddie pins him, and one, two, three. Eddie Kingston is the first triple crown champion in AEW. I'm getting misty just thinking about it. Yeah, that's... Uh, I, you look a little intimidated there, David. Is my passion for Eddie Kingston's success something that you're uncomfortable with? I'm just going to yes-and you. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm terribly uncomfortable with it. As somebody, uh, somebody on Twitter said, uh, guys, what's, what's gayer? Actually being gay or whatever the hell's going on between John Moxley and Eddie Kingston when they're <laughs> in the ring together? And you know what? That's how I feel watching them. I'm just like... I feel an intimate connection to these two sweaty men hitting each other. I feel like, I mean, I, they're not too far off from alternating between uh, chop fest and then just like a, a quick make out. Right, so, yeah. So, I love this match. Yes. Love the Continental Classic. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts? Because no. I feel like I kind of went on a rant there. Happy no, rant. I was happy to let you. It was a, good, it was a great match to watch. I, I, I thought it told a story beautifully. I. I, I see myself as someone who kind of appreciates wrestling both in the, you know, I appreciate the display and the showmanship, but I appreciate it in sort of a, I'm watching the performance. I'm thinking about how they're telling the story. Eddie Kingston makes me forget all that. I just look at him and I'm like, I want this guy to win. I want this guy to, I don't care what the plan was when he came down the ramp. By God, I'm invested in him pulling this off. That's a good match. That's a good match when he makes you shut off your analytical mind. Yeah. But terrific. Uh, yep, Eddie Kingston now holds all, uh, three titles. He's the first Continental Crown Champion, along with retaining his Ring of Honor World title and the New Japan Openweight Championship. Four and a half. Amazing match. All right, next we go into the main event of the evening with Maxwell Jacob Friedman, accompanied by his bro Chacho Adam Cole, defending against Samoa Joe. 
fun promo ahead of this. They show that uh, that clip of like the Long Islanders doing mm-hmm. the he's our scumbag bit, gradually yeah. donning the Burberry. Yeah. That that was cute. Just a nod to him being the hometown guy. Can you imagine one year ago telling? I mean, if you knew it was in Long Island, that would help. But MJF would enter this final title defense as like the baby face, the solid baby face. Yeah, the baby face underdog. Just what a year it's been for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little. I was pretty sure the outcome of this one, mainly just because I knew in real life MJF is dealing with some pretty serious injuries. I think like his hip, his shoulder, mm-hmm. he's, uh, I think messed up his elbow too. Like, And they worked that in, to be fair. Like the story of this was he's right. working injured and Joe is mercilessly taking advantage of all of that. But man, that was like... Some of those moves that Joe was doing, I'm like, I know he's figured out a way to do this safely, but like at one point he does like a muscle buster on the apron yeah. to the outside, and I'm just like, how do you... That's risky to do on somebody who's at 100% health. That's just terrifying for someone who's actually needs to go get a shoulder rehabbed or something. Yeah, so before we get into the end of it, how, how would you say going into this, like the devil storyline mm-hmm. and where it's been with MJF. Did you have any like strong guesses about who it was going to be? No, no, I am someone who, d- who gave, who did not want to endlessly speculate on it because if I had picked someone and hardlined been like, Oh, it's gotta be them. I a hundred percent think it's that like you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Yeah. Because what you want to do is you want to, you want to know who it is and you got to wait and see how it develops. Cause otherwise you're never going to be happy with whatever story they tell you. Yeah, that at the end of the day, whatever you think in your head, they're going to tell one story, and that's what you're going to have to have an opinion about. Plus, I do appreciate the fact that AEW is not a company to, when people, when pe- when like a solid amount of people may have guessed who it was or get or figured out via clues, they're they they are definitely not the type of company who would be like, oh shit, we we need to be able to surprise them. We got to switch it up now. That actually do have an incredible amount of respect for that. The word yeah. is that they it was the same person under the mask, start to finish. Mm-hmm. The people who like were the devil's minions and the various like that those were the people it was going to end up being. Mm-hmm. With I think very few exceptions. I think there were one or two times where it was like, oh, we need we need somebody to be devil minion number three. Right. Uh, the guy's not here. Can you throw that on real quick? But for the most part, like they've said that. They always had uh, this being the plan for the devil reveal. And they said that um, this outcome of MJF versus Joe was the plan, which I'm a little surprised by. That one, I'm, I, I, I raised my eyebrow at that a little bit. I'm not sure, but it's an interesting idea if the devil's plan was not to take the world title for himself, but just to make sure Max lost it. Yeah. Like, that's, that's an interesting level of, of villainy. Well, I think that plan may have twe- been tweaked because of Adam's ankle being probably. tweaked. Yeah. It's like, it probably, probably could have been, or, or just to make sure that, you know, Joe did the most damage, allow, you know, allow him the chance to the title. But, but I, you know, I can believe it either way because it's like, it could be like, yeah, he's going to go for the title, but, you know... <laughs> I do appreciate that they, apart from one spot near the go-home, they did not have the the devil actively interfere in the match. The Joe right. actually pretty much won this clean. Yeah, yeah. And well, that's the thing. It's like mo- with most of MJF's matches, it's like there's always a, a shot of them going clean. It's just like MJF could always eke it out before. Yeah. Or that, you know, when he cheats, it's in that charming rascal way of getting yeah. the, the diamond Well, ring. it slowly transitioned from, oh, my God, he's cheating so much to... 
Yeah, but now, you know, it's the cute thing. It's like uh, back when, when like Jeff Hardy had Lita in his corner in matches, and it was like they would wrestle, and then Lita would jump in and do something, and it was just like, that's blatant cheating, but the crowd's up, but the crowd loves the spot. Yeah. So it's, it's like, like, oh, it's yeah. yeah, we get to see that person do that thing. And it's a part of it. It's a part of MJF's character that it's like I'm going to do anything I can to win. And it's usually, and, and at this point, it's against guys who deserve it anyway. Yeah. So. And honestly, the whole story of this match is this, like more and more of his body is just shutting down as Joe works the injured spots. Oh right, yeah. So like by the end, he's like, all right, I've, I've got to get the ring. That's the only thing to do it. Mm-hmm. So he he goes to the apron. Uh, and, you know, holds his hand out for Adam Cole to yeah. give it to him. But Adam can't find it immediately. He's just patting his pockets, feeling it down. Finally, he gets it to MJF, but too much time has gone by. And as soon as he gets up, Joe is waiting right there to lock him in the coquina clutch. Yep. He falls back, and uh, this one, the abruptness of this kind of surprised me. Um, I don't know if it's, I would say it's abrupt, but it's just, I think people were surprised it was so clean. Yeah, that it's just like, you know, raise the hand once, let it fall twice, let it fall. And everyone's expecting the classic hold. Yeah, he's not quite done, but nope, it hits. It hits three. He's out. He's done. And his arm went like right back up a second later. Like uh, he was just out for a second, but that was long enough for them to ring the bell. And Samoa Joe is your new All Elite Wrestling World Champion. Here's the thing is like, and, and, well, to get, well, when we talk about it in a second, it's like, it's interesting because MJF didn't have a further backup. He's had backups on backups before. Yeah. He's quickly thought of other ways to to eke out that win, you know, to cheat to cheat it out. But he only had the ring as his backup, as a necessary, as, as a final thing to, to rely on. Yeah. And the interesting thing, and I, it seems like he's going to take a little time off to heal. I sure hope he does. It seems like he needs it. But when he comes back, he's got a pretty legitimate case to be like, I tried being a good guy. I told you about this. Yeah. It, it, it sucked. It's, it's the, it's the, you got, I think he's going to end up staying a face for a while longer. At the very least, he'll come back as yeah. much. I mean, he, he's going to get such a huge pop when he comes yeah. back that they kind of have to. But yeah. But so. yeah, that's, that's what I told him. I said, it's going to end up one of two ways. It's like, it's like, you know, I, I, tr- you know, I threw in with you and it, and it, blew up my face but i don't care i'm still their scumbag or th- or this is going to be this is why i don't trust people i never will yeah. you know f- you know f- screw all of you you know yeah it's I, i'm very curious to see because for a long time the obvious plan was the bidding war of 2024 mm-hmm. like he whether he was going to be the champion or not he'd probably have dropped the title no matter what before the end of the year and then the story would be well do i have any reason to stick around here I feel like that's no longer the plan for a number of reasons. One is that he's probably going to be off TV for a little bit healing up. Yeah. Two, I think because they actually have had a couple of high-profile talents go back to WWE, I'm not sure that uh, that story is going to feel as fun for Tony Khan as it might have previously. And I think, honestly, just... Did you uh, did you read the column he wrote for, I think, was the, yes, the player trade? Yeah, yeah, just, I think he's been... Again, he could write all that and still be like, it's been a great five years. I've loved my time with AEW. Now it's time to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But reading it, I'm just like, this is a guy who seems like very happy with where this has gotten him and what he's he's had a chance to do. And I think reading between the lines a little bit, the idea of the, the fact that he's been part of building something seems like an element of great pride for him. That alongside guys like Moxley and Jericho, who showed up and brought their fame and their credibility, he's like, I developed my credibility as a as a championship level wrestler along the same time as this company so speculation 
So MJF loses, and the Devil's minions come down to the ring. Yes, the Joe, Joe just Joe book. He doesn't celebrate. He books it. Yep, just walks right up. Grabs his title and leaves, and then who, and then immediately the minions come down. And there, uh, and Adam Cole tries to get in there to help with his crutches, but yep. they they get him down. They're holding him down. They're holding MJF down. One of them is picking up a chair, ready to lay in, and Adam Cole is just screaming, do it to me, do it to me, just taking that hit instead of MJF. MJF's like, no, hit me instead. Neither one wants to see. Lights go out again. They come back up. Adam Cole is just sitting in that chair, Mm -hmm. staring across at MJF with the four minions right behind him. MJF doesn't say a word, but in his eyes, you just see something breaking. And then Adam sits back and pulls out the devil mask. Yep. And the minions take off their masks, and you've got Roderick Strong, Matt Taven, uh, Mike Bennett, mm-hmm. and Wardlow. Yep. And as soon as MJF tries to get back to his feet, Brody hits him in the face with a knee. Wardlow picks him up for a powerbomb. And uh, Adam tosses the devil mask down on top of him as they all stand over him at the end of the show. Mm-hmm. So, overall, I liked the reveal. Yep. I think it was, I credit them for sticking with it even after Adam's injury instead of just having it be like, oh, uh, crap, now it's uh, uh, Osprey. Yeah, Will Osprey's under there. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious to see what they do with it because obviously he's not going to be cleared to wrestle for a little while, but he's mm-hmm. got, I mean, for all like the, the fun, the next strong thing he's gotten, Roderick Strong is an amazing in-ring talent. I think the Kingdom have been doing pretty well. Yep. They've tried to make Wardlow go as a singles act. I don't think it's entirely Wardlow's fault that hasn't quite gotten over, but he really is at his best as just like the war dog for a for a faction. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited for it, and I don't know how long I want Joe's run to last because I I don't think we need another like year long championship run. But I hope he has a a nice like at least four to six months of really dominant title defenses. Cause I don't know if it'll be six months, but it'll get a, it'll get a few months out of it. I mean, my, my thinking on that is he, uh, I think, retains it at Revolution, and then uh, he loses it to a face, probably Hangman Page, and then we get Hangman versus uh, Swerve at All In, which is where Swerve becomes the, the champion. Again, that's, that's yeah. fantasy booking. Who knows? Yeah. But, yeah, I think Joe's going to... I'm just so amazed that Joe made it back to wrestling after what seemed like being kind of done with it towards the end of his WWE run and not only made it back but came and became a world champion again he macho manned himself he really did yep but yeah so again there were some issues with the car there were some matches that didn't land for me but man by the end it was cooking and it was doing the stuff I love for AEW it was alright and it it's funny they kind of have the reverse problem that WCW has which people love to compare them to WCW WCW had the had the problem of Oh man, that undercard was stacked to beyond recognition. That main event was shit. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and uh, it seems like AEW kind of has a weird middle problem. Yeah, I think they they tend to do pretty well with their with their big matches, the yeah. ones that they're really putting the the oh, emotional yeah. chips down on. Give or take the occasional technical glitch, like their, the uh, their mid card is kind of wobbly. A little bit. It's inconsistent. You've got some stuff where it'll be like, you know, give like a Lucha guy and Darby Allen 20 minutes and they'll just tear it up. But other times you have an eight-man match of people who don't really belong together and yeah. So I gave MJF versus Joe three and a half. Again, liked it a lot. I think the fact that Max was working injured, they made it a part of the story, but he's definitely like his match with his, his Iron Man match with Danielson, for example, like when he's working 100%. 
the difference between that and what he's able to do right now, it's the reason I got to knock it down a little bit. But still a good match and a good ending. Let's see. Did you have any uh, MVPs you want to single out for this one? No, not really. I think it was a good show, but no, no one can really take that yeah. spot. I'm going to overall, I'm going to look at this again. Some ups, some downs, but a good ending. I'm going to give it... Three out of five timeless rose petals. Mm. That is my one regret, that we didn't get to see Joe or Eddie Kingston celebrating on a bed of rose petals. I just think everybody across the line should have you celebrated that way. save it for the internet, my friend. All right, so... <laughs> oh, wow. Hour and... Wow. Less than two hours. We have done it. We've actually cooked through this thing. Gee, you didn't think we could do it, did you? I refuse to comment on the grounds that it may incriminate me. You didn't think you could do it. <laughs> no, I, I always believed in the two of you. I could have gone another 30 minutes on Eddie Kingston, but... We know. <laughs> I was honestly waiting for you to be like, look at that, we did it an hour and 20 minutes, less than two hours. All right, Chris, now let's talk uh, about... <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing we would like to do as sort of a special episode between pay-per-views is get together with host emeritus David Two Dogs Hayes to discuss a year in review of wrestling because i do think 2023 has been an insane year for pro wrestling and we want to get dog back in to talk about that so we are hoping to get that together very soon david anything else you want to plug i should i suppose i should plug my own show that we haven't recorded an episode for in over a month almost two that we were supposed to record in december uh that we just keep running out of time and scheduling issues with um so, you know, Long Walk Talks is just one of those podcasts that happens when it happens now. There's no, no reason to try to force that magic. Uh, whenever the three of us get together, we're going to cook and uh, come up with uh, some really great content for you. Kind of like a new season of True Detective. Exactly. Just. Like, you got to put the time into it. Unless it's that one season you don't like. You know yeah. the one. Yeah, you know, the, the last two. I got big hopes for the for the fourth one. Oh, though. the one with Marshall Ali was no good? Dang. From what I heard, I never watched it. So. Oh, I'd hope I just want to point out, I'm not the problem. <laughs> it's me. No. Hi. No, let's, let's I'm blame the problem. Stan. It's me. I'm I, thought so, I, I was going to blame Stan. I was going to give you an out to blame Stan, but okay. I appreciate that. <laughs> Took me a few sentences to realize you weren't still talking about True Detective. And I was like, Chris, I'm not the problem there either, honestly. Chris, none of us place more than 25% of the blame you on you. You know if I was making TV script writing money. <laughs> or if you were, you know, a serial killer. Yeah, sure. But would we ever really know that? Like, statistically, it's always going to be somebody that you know. Yeah, it's going to come out, and I'm going to be like, pranked you. <laughs> <laughs> so many podcasts are going to get canceled that day. You got me. As we nurse our stab wounds. No, no. Then anyway. You, no, then you have, your, then you have the, the coveted true crime podcast where you get to talk about how you had no idea. All this time, you were podcasting with a serial killer. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and compose my statement to the public. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and start working on that right now. He was just the nicest guy. You'd never expect that from him. It's always the ones you never expect. Can I go now? Unless it's what, the devil. What, and go stab case. someone? <laughs> what I do off time is none of your business. Well, let me ask you guys a very serious question. Are y'all motherfuckers still using Twitter? I have Blue Sky now. How is that? Interesting. It's like yeah. Twitter, but it hasn't caught fire yet. I, I am mainly just because most of the wrestlers and wrestling people whose opinions I actually enjoy are still on there. 
eventually enough of them will leave that I'll probably just move over somewhere else. Neither of you have given Threads a shot yet? <laughs> I promote nothing of nobody. Good night. <laughs> I mean, I don't either. As much as I would love to be making that uh, meta money. <laughs> but uh, I, I have a Threads account that I only look at when I get a notification. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, I forget that I have it. Do you get a free like meta avatar, like a hologram of yourself? for the? Yeah, you're looking at it. I'm at home right now. I'm going to throw this bottle of Dr. Pepler across do the it, table do at it, you. Do it. Dr. Pepler? Dr. Pepler. We don't, get, we don't get paid to promote them. They're not going to get their name pronounced right. You know what? I support this. That and Mr. Plib. Anyway, all right. Well, since you're both still active on the Twitter, uh, Robert, if people want to reach out to you online or follow you online, where can they do that at? I am at RedbeardRob01 on the platform formerly known as Twitter. Chris, what about you? I promote nothing and nobody, as I said before. Oh, right. I forgot all about that. Well, if you want to follow me online, reach out to me online, harass me online, you can do that at DB Hensley on Instagram. It's the exact same on TikTok and threads, but I never fucking use them. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, if you want to keep up with Long Walk Productions, you can visit us online at longwalk.us. To see more of our original work or hear past episodes that are no longer streaming, you can follow the YouTube links in the show notes. Thank you very much for listening. And if you enjoy this show or any of the shows on the Long Walk Podcast Network, please make sure to leave us a rating and a review on whatever platform you are listening on. Thank you very much, folks. Happy New Year. And remember, should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind, it doesn't matter. Joe's going to kill you. This has been... This is a work.